the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's a brand new week. Hi, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions, anything and everything that's on your heart. I'll do the best I can to answer according to the Word of God. You need only to call us, dial 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at 877 630 KSLR. Numerically, it's 630 5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. Remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, Just one button, call now. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time for our main number. It's 340-9585. Hey, I hope you had a really good weekend this weekend. Um, Seems like April went by so quickly. Um, But we had a good weekend at church, and I hope and pray that you did as well. Uh, We're going to be having our Monday night men's, women's, and youth Bible studies tonight at 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. Ladies at home, you can watch uh, live stream at calvaryessay.com by, uh, at 7 o'clock, Linda McMillan will be teaching the ladies. Uh, child care, of course, is provided. Your kids will have a great time as well. A good night for the family to come out. Okay, let's get to some questions for our program today. Monica says, uh, in reading about the Great Tribulation, I can't help but wonder how a loving God could allow such evil on the earth. Now, Monica, I'm not sure if you're talking about the judgments and all of the horrible things that are happening or the evil that was done by the people. Um, I have a problem with both of those issues. You know, the the problem is God is patient. Now, that's not a problem for you and for me. Um, but, But we look at this world and we feel like it's just literally going to hell. Um. That's not the way God designed this world. And so he is patient with the evil, unwilling that any should perish. Now, if that's not the way you meant it, if you meant the evil of the Great Tribulation, we have to remember that in the Great Tribulation, that's after the rapture of the church, the man that we know as the Antichrist is going to be revealed. And um, this is God's judgment on a world that's completely given over to evil. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit in the church is restraining the level of evil in this world. Now, that's hard for us to believe. We see all of the horrible things that are going on. But how much worse it would be if the church was out of here? Well, when the church is gone, evil will um, run its course. And um, um, God, because he's holy and just, Monica has to judge that evil. And so the judgments that come, the trumpet judgments, the seal judgments, and the bowl judgments 
Those are judgments by God to punish a world that's rejected Christ. So it's not like, well, only good people are going to be hurt. or uh, It's not that at all. Uh, the world at the time of the rapture of the church and the world turning completely away from any semblance of serving God, even the, the pretension of serving God, what they're going to discover is that it gets so dark that the only thing that can rescue this world is the return of Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he's going to bring judgment back. So, Monica, that's not evil. That's a cleansing. And every one of those people will have had the opportunity to hear about and receive Jesus Christ, but they're going to reject him. Now, it's certainly going to be a heartbreaking time. It's one of the reasons that we can be thrilled that we're not going to be here during the Great Tribulation. But it's very important that we understand that when God judges, he is completely just. And we have to believe that based on his character, based on what we know about him in the word of God, and based on the way that he's dealt with each and every one of us who were at one time his enemy. So, Monica, I hope I got the meaning of your question correctly. Um, Anonymous says, if a baby whose parents are unbelievers dies, where will the baby go? Um, the, the parents of the baby, Anonymous, don't make any difference. And anybody born uh, who is um, um, born into the sinful world, a, a baby, a child who's not accountable, they don't know right from wrong yet. Remember when Jonah was upset that God was going to spare Nineveh. And God said, well, why are you angry with me? Don't you know I have 120,000 in Nineveh who don't know their right hand from their left? And the thought is that that's referring to children who are not accountable. They don't know right from wrong yet. Now, they do wrong, and we do wrong as children because we're born into sin. But we don't know it, and God will only hold us accountable for what we do know. He'll never hold us accountable for what we don't know. Additionally, Anonymous, that if God would say, well, if the baby's parents are are unbelievers, I'm going to treat them like an unbeliever, and they haven't had a chance to sin willfully against God, then that would not be fair or just. That would be contradictory to God's nature. So it doesn't matter who the parents are. The, the, the children don't get punished for the sins of the fathers. This is just a matter, a very simple matter, of every man will stand before God on their own, and we will all give account for what we do know and what we did with it, and never what we don't know. And children that die are going to be with Jesus immediately. You remember David's son born uh, out of the relationship, the affair with Bathsheba. And God's judgment was that the baby was going to die. Now, that isn't God punishing the baby. That's just a natural consequence of the sin. God didn't rescue this child. And the reason he didn't was because sin costs. And David, when he was done mourning when he heard that the baby had died. He got up, he cleaned himself up, he had some food brought in. And they said, well, why are you eating now when before you were mourning? And David said, my son cannot come to me, but I will go to him. And that baby, like all babies, anonymous, are going to be in heaven. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Um, you, you know, that's one of the things that we can think about, too, with the, the plague of abortion uh, in, in our nation. Um, a nation that God has blessed abundantly, a nation that has now turned our back on God. Sixty-five plus million babies have been murdered since 1973. The good news for all of us is those children are all of them going to be in heaven. Moms, babies are going to be reunited. Now, I don't think there'll be babies. We don't know, but clearly in heaven we know everything. So the, the, the babies that are aborted will meet their mothers, and the mothers meet their children. Those are good things when all is restored and everything is refreshed. So anonymous, that's God's character and nature. So that baby's in heaven. Mel says, in the Old Testament, when we see the angel of the Lord, is it always Jesus we see? Mel, um, generally my answer is yes. 
Um, you've got to look at the at the language whenever uh, it's the angel of the Lord. And by that I mean the the is uh, a definite article. Then it's always Jesus. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. By the way, on Friday night, we're going to talk about one of those pre-incarnate appearances of Christ before the manger and uh, uh, in our study in Hebrews. So um, whenever you see the, the angel of the Lord, it's always Jesus, not an angel from God or an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord, it's, it's going to be Jesus. We know that because he receives worship he gives directions. People offer sacrifices to him. A regular angel would never do that. The angels, for example, that appear to Daniel, don't fall down at my feet. For I'm just a servant of the Most High like you are. But, but when it's Jesus, God in pre-incarnate form, that angel always receives offerings. That angel always receives sacrifices and worship. So uh, it is, Mel, and there's a lot of appearances. Let me suggest a book for you, Mel, that uh, was a real blessing to me, as especially as a young Christian. It's, it's a book called Christ Before the Manger, and it's written by a man named Ron Rhodes, R-H-O-D-E-S, and it's really an interesting book. Now, the reason I recommend the book is because it will really make you dig into the Old Testament. And when you see these appearances of Jesus and you study the messages that those uh, appearances of Christ communicate to the humans involved, uh, it, it begins to build a very convincing picture of Jesus becoming a child, being born in this world, and dying for the sins of the people, people like you and me, Mel. So I would say, yes, uh, the angel Lord, 100% of the time, is Jesus. You know, one of the most fascinating appearances to me, and we're studying this um, We've been sort of dancing all around it on our Wednesday night studies in Isaiah. When we get into chapter 37, I think it's 37, um, it w- then we'll, we'll really dig in. But um, one angel, the angel Lord, in one night killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers who had laid siege against Jerusalem and were going to come in and completely devastated. Jesus shows up. And he's the one that fights on behalf of Israel. So when they go out to fight the next day, the Israelites, all they see is corpses, and they're able to plunder the corpses. And, of course, there's plenty of food and plenty of supplies. So uh, the people in the city of Jerusalem are replenished as well. Here is a call from Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I've been thinking, I've got one of my I wonder questions, and I've been thinking about it since Saturday, and it has to do with Bechiseldeck, and I'm wondering, could he have been walking around the Garden of Eden uh, with Adam and Eve? And I'll give that to you and listen on, on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. Um, you, you kind of stole my thunder from Friday night. Uh, we're actually going to study Melchizedek. Uh, and, and Cindy, honestly, I've never thought about that. Now, we know that that um, God was walking in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve. We know that Jesus is God. So while I've never, ever thought of it from that angle, yeah, Jesus was there, the Father was there, and the Holy Spirit was there because God is the same forever, one, one God in three persons, not three gods, but one God in three persons. And uh, I think very... Clearly, Jesus was there in the garden. Now, he would have been there as Jesus, not as Melchizedek. So Melchizedek was a one-time imposition, uh, a gift from heaven to um, um, Abram, um, who uh, was facing enormous odds in a battle against the five kings. And uh, so it wouldn't have been Melchizedek. It would have been Jesus. We know that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. So you keep wondering, Cindy. I like those. That one made me think a little bit. Uh, I like the idea of thinking about Jesus walking around the garden. We, we know that God is a spirit. Jesus is always the God who is man. Um, and I think it's 
perfectly safe to say that it was Jesus who was walking around in the garden with Adam and Eve. Great, great question. Thank you very much. Here's another anonymous question. It says, uh, Pastor Ron, if God wants to give us only good gifts, why is there so much suffering? Well, anonymous, what we have to be careful of is when we see suffering in the world, we, we needn't attribute that to God. Um, I think when we, we we approach God this way, well, if you love us or if you love me, I'll make it personal. Why do bad things happen? Well, bad things happen because we live in a fallen world. And because this world that we live in is evil, it's rebelling against God, naturally there are terrible things that are going to happen. Uh, we have uh, anonymous uh, uh, several people in our church who've been having these long struggles, these battles with cancer. We've seen so much suffering and so much pain. Today here in our academy, we had one little girl broke her arm at recess and another little girl hit her head and was bleeding. And of course, all the kids were freaking out. They're still telling the stories. You know, those kind of things happen because of the world that we live in. It was never the intention of God for this world to be like this. So don't attribute the bad things that happened to God. Bad things happen because that's what happens in a world that has rejected him. And um, so, yeah, God wants to give us good gifts. He has already given us good gifts. But that never implies, not even for a moment, it never implies that that means everything is going to be fine or we're not going to have any problems. There is so much suffering that goes on in this world, but... It is a self-inflicted wound. Now, by that, I don't mean every single person who's suffering, it's their fault. What I mean is it's mankind's fault. It's hard for us to imagine, Anonymous, what it would have been like in the Garden of Eden. Or what it would have been like had Adam not fallen into sin. But he did. And because he did, sin entered the world. And we inherited the sin nature from our federal forefather, Adam. And so God, because he loves us and because he wants to give us only good gifts, he sent his son, the second Adam, to die for our sins that we might be free from sin. When I get questions like this, what I really want you to do is to spend more time in your Bible. Learn who Jesus is. Read the Genesis account of the fall in chapter 3. Read the next chapter. When God goes out of his way to warn Cain against murdering his brother Abel. And yet sin had entered the world and because it did, we do what we want to do and really bad things happen. And God has promised to free us from those bad things, but he's never promised us that we wouldn't experience suffering or pain. In fact, just the opposite is true. He said, in this world you will face tribulation. And uh, not the great tribulation, thankfully, but tribulation. Uh, And so the suffering that happens is a result of sin. It has nothing to do with God. One day that world that includes suffering is going to be wiped away. We are going to live in a world for 1,000 years with Jesus where there's no... Rebellion against God permitted. People will rebel because they still have free will, but they will be judged instantly. And somehow, Anonymous, we're going to have a role in that judgment. We're going to serve with Jesus in the millennial reign. And even after a thousand years of a perfect reign on earth, people are going to rebel. And that's going to prove that the problem was always us. It was never God. It was never our environment. It was never just bad breaks. The problem was always us. So, rest assured, God wants you to give you good wants to give you good gifts, but you got to know Him for that to happen. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Here is a question from Jason. Uh, Pastor Elm, would you talk about the two witnesses of Revelation? I feel certain that Enoch and Elijah are the witnesses because they were the only people who never died. Jason, yours is slightly a minority position, but it's not at all an unusual position. 
and and certainly I, I can't say with definity that it's wrong. I personally think it's wrong. I think the argument that well, since Enoch didn't die, uh, he has to be the other one. Um, I, I don't think that's the case. I, I, there's there's no hermeneutic rule that says um, he has to die. No, Hebrews nine says it's appointed unto men to die once and then face the judgment. And and clearly God was pleased with Enoch. And by the way, he was a type of the the rapture. In fact, probably the first real picture of the rapture of the church. Uh, and Enoch is one of my favorite characters. But I do not believe that he's one of the two witnesses. Now, we know Elijah is. The prophet says that Elijah must come before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. So Elijah will be here. He's one of them. But I think the other one, of course, is Moses. And it's no problem. God hid his body. We know we know that Moses died, but it's no problem for God to give him the breath of life again. And we remember we see Ena, I'm sorry, Elijah and Moses together on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, they come to tell Jesus all the things that he's going to encounter as he prepares in that final week to go to the cross. Um, we know that Moses represents the law and Elijah the prophets. And Jesus said, the law and the prophets testify of him. That's what a witness does. A witness testifies. You look at the, the judgments, the, the fire coming from their mouths and the destruction. Um, those are the things that both the, uh, Elijah and Moses did. So I'm personally, Jason, as convinced as you are uh, that uh, Enoch is. I'm convinced that uh, Moses and Elijah are the two witnesses. You know, one of the things you asked me to talk about them, I don't know what you want me to say other than to comment on whether or not that that's who, who they are. Um, but the, the ministry of the two witnesses will take place in the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. At the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, um, the forces of the people will try to come against them, the forces of the Antichrist. And they will all be destroyed. They're going to be invincible until the time God is done with them. And um, people are going to resist them. Can you imagine? You know it's Moses. You know it's Elijah. Obviously, this is supernatural. They exhibit supernatural power. And yet people will still reject them and their message. Finally, at the end of the first three and a half years, God is going to allow them to be overtaken. They're going to be going to be killed. Their bodies are going to be desecrated, dragged through the streets while the world parties because those two pests, those troublemakers are gone. And then after three days, the breath of life is going to come into those broken, beaten, battered bodies again. And they're going to be ascending into heaven in full view of the whole world. Yesterday in our Bible study here at Calvary Chapel, I was talking about Jesus and his return. We're in the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus was telling people to be ready. And, um, you know, I know the church has been saying Jesus coming back for 2,000 years. Paul and the first century Christians expected him to come back in their lifetime. Uh, we expect Jesus to come back in ours, and yet there are so many who say, well, I get tired of waiting. He hasn't come. He hasn't come. But we still need to be ready when he comes. And the way we do that is to eagerly await his return for his church. And after... Millions of Christians worldwide, hundreds of millions of Christians worldwide are going to be out of here. And then as Moses and Elijah begin declaring the message of Jesus Christ, the one true God, the world is still going to reject all of the evidence in front of them. That's how hard-hearted the world is already, but it will be even more so then. So, Jason, that's my take on the two witnesses. We have a little over two minutes left in this half of the program. 340 
9585 for your live calls. Here is a question from Abby. She says, Pastor Ron, what is the difference between the rapture and the second coming? It's a wonderful difference for us, Abby, those of us who are going to be raptured. The rapture of the church is Jesus calling his church to meet him in the air. It doesn't mean Jesus is coming back for us in the rapture. He's going to call us up to be with him. It's that instant moment, that twinkling of an eye instant that, that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. When we who are still alive are going to be caught up in the air to be with Jesus. That's the rapture. It's the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's when we go consummate our marriage with Jesus. The second coming will happen approximately seven years later. I say approximately because we don't know the exact timing of the the covenant uh, that is stricken between uh, Israel and the man that we know as the Antichrist. But, but, But approximately seven years... And then Jesus is going to return and judge this earth. We're going to be with him, Abby. But we're going to return with him in glory. So that's the difference between the two. One is a a wonderful escape. The other is a, a, a horrible judgment on this world. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love to have your live calls. We'll see you in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program, 340-9585. It's a Monday, and if my voice is a little weak, it's because I talk too much on the weekends. Uh, But thank you for your patience. Here's a question from our mobile app from Nacho. He says, is God talking about John the Baptist and Jesus's ministry in Malachi chapter three, verse one? And is he talking about his return in judgment in the end times in verse two? Let me read those two verses uh, and then I'll do what I can to answer. Um, Verse one says, behold, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. Um, you know, this is a, a, a little bit of a complicated question uh, because John the Baptist, Nacho, came uh, as a forerunner to Jesus, his first ministry. But the Malachi passage is... Uh, strictly Old Testament in view and and refers to Elijah. That's one of the reasons I said in the question that we had about the two witnesses, we know one of them for sure is Elijah. So when he says, behold, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way, that's going to be Elijah. Now, when Jesus was asked about John the Baptist, when Jesus was sort of eulogizing him, uh, he said to the people, if you can hear this, John was Elijah. That doesn't mean John was Elijah. Uh, What it means is that he fulfilled the same role, the office of Elijah, for Jesus' first appearance in this world. He's the one who said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, so, So John the Baptist fulfilled the role in type, but the Malachi passage is a reference only to the second coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, which is that that day he always and only comes in judgment. So that's um, Elijah, and he's talking about, um, obviously, who can stand this day of his appearing. He is talking about uh, the day of judgment, when Jesus will set foot on the Mount of Olives, and he will be um, returning in judgment. So, Nacho, you're close. 340-9585 for your live calls. Here is a question from our email inbox from Chip. I'm sure you've heard of the tragic shooting in Poway, California, at a synagogue. 
Sin is insane, exclamation point, it surely is, Chip. My question is this. The lady who died was reported to have been there at the synagogue to pray for a dead relative who had just passed away. Is this regular practice by today's Judaism? I thought that was a Roman Catholic practice. Do you know anything about this? Um, I I don't know much about it, Chip. I do know that it is, uh, prayer for the dead is practiced uh, in Judaism. Um, uh, I can't say it the right, but El Malachim is the actual Jewish prayer for the dead. Um, But, um, you know, remember, when, when you don't know what's true, and I don't care whether it's Judaism or Catholicism, um, then you do what's superstitious. You do what's religious. And that lady who was there to pray for the dead obviously got caught up in that tragedy. Uh, so it's a part of Jewish tradition, but I actually think it's probably not practiced much. Uh, if we have some Jewish listeners, they may want to correct me on that. But I think it would be like a lot of things in different religions where people will uh, pray for uh, or, or not be aware of everything uh, that's being practiced. And certainly I don't think the prayer for the dead is something that is routinely known or practiced by most Jews. Again, that's my guess. I do want to take a moment to talk about, answer your question about sin being insane. Um, this is this is a world that... You know, uh, um, let me go off for a moment here. Um, You know, those who are on the far left of our country um, call themselves progressives. And from their perspective, all we have to do is forget about this nonsense about God and we can all be who we're supposed to be and the world will be a better, happier place. There's nothing progressive about rejecting God. In this world that we live in, this age of information, I am uh, made to understand this 19-year-old kid uh, has only for about six months been immersed in the anti-Semitism that he's found a lot of information about on the Internet. Um, people engage, I believe, with all of my heart that... that when you, you, you get into conspiracy theories or you, you join these groups, there's a satanic power that's available. And these killings at Jewish temples or synagogues, we've seen several of them, they're going to be increasing in frequency rather than decreasing. Again, because we're not progressive at all. Um, they're always satanically inspired. Not most of the time, always, when you see Jews being attacked throughout the history of the world, no people group on the face of the earth has ever been hated as much as Jews are. They, there's no group that's ever been persecuted to the extent that Jews have. The hatred is irrational, it's satanic, and it's not something that's going to decrease, it's going to increase. Now, we would think that with all of the enlightenment that we have, with all of the information that we have, we would naturally think that, well, the world would be a more loving place. And there'd be no room for prejudice of this type. But all we have to do is look around and we see that things aren't getting better in those regards, they're getting worse. And this was a satanic attack. All hatred for Jews is satanic in origin. And that's what we ought to be afraid of. The way that the enemy is able to grab hold of the hearts of what was six months ago, a seemingly perfectly uh, perfectly normal 19-year-old young man, and turn him into this satanic tool, this monster. Let me just remind you Christians, that's the large part of my audience. There's no room for prejudice in our lives. We who are believers, born again by the blood of Christ, we have the answer to prejudice, to hatred. We don't recognize, as God doesn't recognize, differences in people, groups. We just recognize saved and unsaved. 
and the unsaved are the object of our ministry. It's very important that we know and can declare that when these kinds of killings occur, they're satanically inspired. We're the answer. We have the answer. It's my way of begging you, any Christian in this audience, if there's any prejudice against any group of people in your heart, even a tinge of it, you need to repent and have the heart of God for people. Thank you, Nacho. 340-9585. Let's go to Seguin and talk with Reuben. Reuben, good to hear from you. Thanks for calling. God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm doing well. That's great. Um, I, I had already asked you this question, and I just I, I just maybe need, if you could expand on it or expound on it more. Um, and uh, Romans, where Paul is talking about the things that I want to do, I don't do. You remember that one? I asked you that a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, let me tell you, the reason I ask is because, okay, I am searching for God with all of my heart, and, and, and I've changed my ways just really quick. Before any of this happened to me, before I got sick, before any of this happened to me, I was still ministering. I was singing, and I was even preaching and praying for people, but I wasn't living right with God. I was, you know, sleeping with women and doing things that I was not supposed to do. And then this happened to me. And then that's when my heart started changing. When I I felt God said, look, you need to stop what you're doing because it's not right. And, you know, if you're going to live for me, live for me. If you're not going to live for me, then don't live for me at all. So the past couple of years, I have, you know, completely changed. I've become a a whole different person. And I have just completely surrendered and sold out completely to God, 100%. Um, He knows my heart. Now, I struggle with sexual thoughts, okay? I'm just, Mm -hmm. I gotta be honest, with sexual thoughts. And it, and I don't act upon them. I don't act upon them. Um, I wish they were not there. And I pray and I I ask God, take them away from me, take them away from me, take them away from me, take them away from me. It's been three years and I still have them. What am I doing wrong? And then I read that passage where Paul is talking about the things that I don't want to do. I do, uh, although I kind of relate to that in the fact that not that I act on those, uh, those thoughts that come to my mind. It's just that they're there and they come at the most inconvenient time. I could be praying and I could be in the presence of the Lord and then all of a sudden an image would just flash across my mind. Now, is there something wrong with me? Am I doing something wrong? Have I not completely given my life over to Christ? Do I need to, you know, get cleansed or, you know, because I have all these people telling me, you know, and I don't want it. I don't want to hear any of that anymore because it's all legalistic. You know, I just... Ruben, let me let me make this really clear and really easy for you, okay? Okay. Uh, the thoughts that the thoughts that we have, there's nothing that we can do about them. They come from an outside source. Now, by living a sexually immoral life in the past, you opened a door for the enemy. Uh, Paul says, "All other sins a man commits are sins committed outside his body, but when he sins sexually, he sins against his own body, the temple of the Holy Spirit." The idea there is that we give Satan a stronghold in our heart. Uh, when we sin sexually, unlike almost any other sin that we can commit, uh, that's why it's silliness when people say all sin is the same. They're not. Sexual sin gives Satan an inroad. So here's what he's doing. Satan is upset that he's lost you. And so he is the source of those thoughts. It's no coincidence that it happens when you're ready to pray or when you're ready to open the Bible. That's when those thoughts are going to come. So here's what you need to know. Having the thought is not sin. Taking thoughts captive, making them obedient to Christ, is the way that you combat those thoughts. And it pleases God when we stand uh, in the middle of that temptation. So uh, it's, it's not a thing. We live in these human bodies, these flesh and blood bodies. We live in a corrupt world, and, and our flesh has been corrupted. That's why Paul says, I find this law at work when 
when I sin, it's not me who sins, but sin living in me. We all have that experience. So what you're doing is actually very pleasing to God. When those thoughts come in and you reject them, you say, no, I'm not going to give in to that thought because I love Jesus. That's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And God, God never will say, I'll take those thoughts away. He just gives us the ability to combat those thoughts by the power of His Holy Spirit. So there's nothing wrong with you. This is a normal part of spiritual warfare. And Reuben, what you have to remember is that those thoughts are going to come at the, from Satan's perspective at the time when you're at your most weak or at the time when he's trying to interrupt your communion with God. So instead of, of feeling condemned because you have yeah, those yeah, thoughts, yeah, just yeah. remember what the Bible says. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ yeah. Jesus. Romans 8.1 and that that experience of Paul in, in Romans chapter seven verses twenty one through twenty five are 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 experiences that we all have at some point or another where we have the thoughts I don't want to do that thing we find ourselves doing it uh, in Paul's case I think he was talking about a couple of sins in particular I think pride was one of them uh, conceit we know that that was an area when Satan attacked him the other area that was really really there for Paul was anger. Now we might say it's righteous anger, but but he always had to fight everybody coming against him. And when people would start to 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 uh, trample on the grace of God, remember he goes to the church. I wish those false teachers would go all the way and emasculate themselves. I think Paul had a hard time dealing with his anger, righteous anger, but still anger nonetheless. Um, you and me, Reuben, we have different types of issues that we deal with. But Romans 7, that experience is germane to all of us. So it's not sin to have the thoughts. You keep fighting the thoughts and imagine the smile of Jesus saying, that's my guy right there. He's fighting. That's what pleases the Lord. All right, okay? that's that makes more sense than anything else. All right, thank you so much because I was condemning myself and allowing nope. the enemy to tell me that God has forgiven me for what I've done. And, yep. And it, you, you, know, you, you, weren't, you weren't even condemning yourself. That was the devil condemning you. But I understand now. Clearly, I understand. Yep. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with Raymond online, too. Raymond, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Blessings to you, Pastor Ron. You thank God you're you're very well balanced in your teaching. Thank you, Raymond. Um, the, yeah, the reason why I'm calling, I, I initially called um, because I wanted to find out something about the candidates that we're voting for on city city council and mayor. I know about the mayor's race, but I live in a district of Council One, and um, uh, several of the councilmen voted, which my councilman voted against Chick-fil-A and um, to keep them out. And uh, I'm, I'm just looking for who who is a Christian in that uh, race. I don't know if you know anything about uh, those things. We used to have uh, uh, voter guides. I don't know if we still have them, but I think we need to start putting Christians in, in office if they will run. Yeah. So I'd like to know, I call because I want to know who to vote for. Oh, well, Raymond, I, I can't tell you that, but I, I'll give you some guidelines to follow on, on the issue. It's very, very important. And, and I think we all ought to pray along with Raymond that, that, uh, that the Lord would raise up Christian men and women who will be strong in their faith and take a stand for him. And I think especially in San Antonio, we really and truly need to do that now. Um, Raymond, I don't know if any of the, the city councilmen or the candidates for mayor are Christians or not. I don't know anything about their 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 spiritual life. Um, but what we can do is we look at the candidate to vote for. We can look at the candidate that best or most closely represents a, a godly worldview. Um, I think they are few and far between here in San Antonio. This whole thing with Chick-fil-A, I want everybody to be absolutely clear about this. They were opposed to Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A was a supporter of uh, marriage between a man and a woman. Uh, they made that clear back when this whole thing with the um, gay marriage was being uh, uh, 
judged correct in, in 2015. And, and Chick-fil-A is, is owned by Dan Cathy. He's a Christian who's serious about his faith. And uh, he has been willing to take public stands and stake his reputation on it. Uh, and they didn't want anything that had to do with God. The city council here, uh, the vote was, I think, 9-2 to two the first time. Uh, and then they it was brought up back before the council uh, when, when uh, the, the national uproar over this thing was. And then I think the vote was six to five, but but regardless, nine to two or six to five, Chick Fil A is not going to be allowed in our airport. Uh, that just shows not only the insanity of sin, but the degree of hatred that people have for those of us who represent Jesus Christ. And Raymond, uh, I, I think we ought to vote. Um, I think the the best step would be, and this is just my own opinion. I don't I don't dabble in politics and don't tell people what to do. But if it were me, I would vote all of the people who are in there out and start all over. I think that's what we need. Well, we've got about uh, we've got about nine candidates in District yep. One and about eight in dif- District Two, and I just don't know anything about any of them except the one that's in there. And I think we need to get him out because he is totally anti-God. And yeah, um, and, and I agree. Who who's the councilman there? Just, is that Tre- Trevino? Yes. Yes, that's what yeah, I thought. Trevenia. Yeah, he he, mm-hmm. he 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 really, really, really hates God and hates Christians and wants nothing to do with exactly. it. We're spending our money on painting sidewalks in rainbow colors, uh, and uh, it's just it's just the insanity of sin. So I would I would just vote uh, for somebody uh, who uh, is closest to representing a godly worldview, um, and uh, certainly wouldn't vote for somebody. Uh, who is living a lifestyle that is contrary to yeah. that. Uh, but but we need to vote. And, and Raymond, you're involved mm-hmm. in your community. Good for you for doing that. But this is one of those times when people like you, and I'm not, I'm not pointing my finger at you personally, but this is a time when people like you need to start asking the Lord in prayer. Lord, are you asking me to run? Are you asking me to step up? Um, and Pastor, when, not to interrupt you, my wife my what? wife just said, why don't you run from here? <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> no, well, Pastor, no, but really, Pastor, I did, I did go down. The Lord sent me down to the city council, and he sent me down to speak with him and to make some declarations. So uh, I did confront them with the issue, and... I am taking a stand for what the the Lord stands for, but uh, I agree with you. I mean, uh, it's it's kind of a difficult thing because we have ministry, uh, another ministry that we're doing in Mexico, and we're there every weekend. But I'll consider it. Well, one of, one of the things, Raymond, to, to, to understand, God raises people up uh, at just the right time. And and he has a way of taking people's uh, hands and moving them from one ministry into another one. And uh, all you have to do is you've got to be so close to the Lord. You've got to know him uh, intimately and uh, you've got to be prepared to be attacked full on. Uh, but God will still use you. I've got two friends, two Calvary Chapel pastors uh, who ran for uh, mayor, uh, one one for city council and one for mayor. Uh, the, the one in mayor in Thousand Oaks, California, won uh, his race. And when nobody said he could, and the, the one here in Texas who ran for city council, uh, he lost, um, but um, uh, did a lot better than anybody thought he could. And he is, or at least was a year ago, actively pursuing uh, a campaign again. Uh, there's just sometimes when God takes somebody's hand and pulls them out of one ministry and leads them in another direction, but, uh, Raymond, as you know, our city has lost its way, uh, and it no longer represents the majority of the people in the city, um, but, but they represent the special interests, the far-left groups, and, uh, and certainly all, all of those positions are an affront to God. So uh, I'll be praying for you, Raymond, and, and I'll trust that the Lord is going to speak to your heart. And you know what no, I always tell my... I feel like you're trying to push me into this thing now. <laughs> no, I would never do that. But you know what I always tell my people at church? I tell the men at church here, always listen to your wives. God speaks through them. <laughs> yes. All right. Thank you, Thank Raymond. You. God, God bless. You know, that's a, a tough, tough calling. I mean, you, you talk about thick skin. You have really got to be 
convinced that it's the Lord, and while I would never push anybody into it, men like Raymond at least need to pray and get the Lord's heart and mind on what his plan is. His plan's always better than ours. And it's the responsibility of every Christian to ask Jesus, what about me and what about today? And one of these days, like Raymond, you could hear him laughing. One of these days, he might just say something to you that you never thought possible before. Uh, One other, by the way here, I think we, all of us, need to um, really, really, really pray for our local governments. City, county, state, um, and all the way up, of course, to the federal government position. Uh, but but as Christians, we need to pray. These people need to get saved. And rather than just getting frustrated with city government, we have to approach them in love, and our prayers won't be heard if our prayers aren't surrounded in love. We we need to want people saved. So here's a good practice. Find a politician that, that is the most different than you, the one who drives you crazy, and then ask God to pour out his love for that man or that woman into your heart by the Holy Spirit then and only then are you qualified to pray and your prayers will be heard. How much time? 30 seconds. Okay, that's that's all I got. I don't have enough time for... Oh, I just got to think for one minute, so maybe I can do one real quick. Is it? Oh, here's what I can do. Leslie says, is it okay to listen to secular music? Leslie, the answer is yes, of course it's okay. No, I wouldn't want you listening to stuff with filthy language or taking God's name in vain or talking about killing cops or killing anybody else. But yes, it's okay to enjoy the gifts that God has given to the people in this world. So listen and do so with a clear conscience. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Appreciate the calls. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Tonight at 7 o'clock, our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies, the ladies at calvarysa.com. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.